can't stand the news It's always the same old song Another corporate scam Another story of bad gone wrong Another corporate bailout Another piece of the pie It's the best democracy money can buy They rig the elections only millionaires can play and you got to HSV Progressive um this evening I am interviewing a a, a candidate for um uh, the Senate seat that uh Senator Shelby is vacating by retiring do I have that right Yes after okay. 32 years Yeah um I I remember when Senator Shelby was a Democrat you know I but anyway there we go. Uh, um, uh, Brandon, would you care to please introduce yourself? Yes. Um, my name is Brandon. I am a son of Alabama, as was my father, who was born in 1940s, and his father was born in 1920s. I've lived my life in the shadow of my experiences growing up in uh, the deep south in an urban rural uh, landscape of uh, systemic and generational poverty, of state perpetuated violence and survivalist criminality. I am a son of the United States Senate, a student of the United States Senate, I uh, said more appropriately, Mm -hmm. that it has been a conscious part of my studies and my own curriculum of citizenship and civic involvement mm -hmm. since I first read the autobiography of Malcolm X and became quite uh, enamored by the contributions of the likes of Robert Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, mm -hmm. and in his uh, conduct of uh, service of in the United States Senate representing the state of New York in the seat, interestingly enough, that um, Roger Goodell's father would go on to inherit and uh, that Hillary Clinton would go on. So it's very, it's, it's particular, particularities like that that have always intrigued me or watching the career of uh, Senator Olympia Snow from Maine, uh, who, represented a, a bipartisan tone of the institution that is being lost, it seems, to the ages. I am an enthusiastic, enthusiastic dog owner. Um, I have right now two chocolate American, American uh, high, uh, Cocker Spaniels. Uh -huh. And I'm looking to adopt a Newfoundland. Uh, uh -huh. In the, in the near term, and um, I have dabbled in the <clears throat> hobby business of, of, of breeding and trading uh, superiorly bred AKC uh, registered pets for a few years. Cavaliers, Cocker Spaniels, Newfoundlands, very, very exciting breed. Now, Newfoundlands, those are the big, big dogs, right? Newfoundland is in the, in the same working group as the... Uh, St. Bernard, which is the you know the Beethoven yep. uh, breed, so yeah, they are very large animals. Yeah, yeah. very large with with a with a lot of um, 
grooming and maintenance that's required to keep the high maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a Ford, Ford driver. I really like the American brand. I like the convenience of it. I, last three automobiles I purchased before vehicles and that is enthusiastic, uh, 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 uh car industry stuff. Uh-huh. And it informed some of my policy. I wanted to be a NASCAR driver when I was in, in grade school and would have pursued that with fervor if I had not been uh, inclined to be intimidated by the race factor. Yeah, Truly, that, was, I, that was, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. I, I was going to say that's, that's uh, not uh, a peop- uh, uh, an industry that's peopled very much by um, per- peoples of, per- persons of color, yeah. So that really would be, I think, um, the defining uh, a moment of, uh, of realization in my life, that arena. Um, and so I find myself at this juncture appealing for an opportunity to go into an, an, an equally extraordinary arena. But, yeah. but really, I, 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 w- I would hope that maybe I would have a nephew or a child that would uh, pursue that, that, that earlier a goal of, uh, of speed car professional <laughs> racing because it was very exciting for me. And uh, my personality started to take shape around, around that, that, that objective. Um, I cook my own meals. I'm not a vegetarian. I eat pork. I eat a lot of fish. <laughs> I fry, my, fry chicken. I really enjoy frying chicken. I'm not really big on using microwaves. And um, I survived Algebra 2 after taking it twice. I, I actually have um, an undiagnosed experience with uh, dyscalculia. Oh, dyscalculia. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, um, you know, I'm a math teacher. <laughs> oh, was, maybe this would turn into a tutoring session. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but if you get elected to the Senate and you need some help with your math, now you've yes. got somebody, right? Yes. Yes. Which interesting that you bring that up because just before I, I got on the call um, and joined this, this, this presentation, uh-huh. I, was, I was reviewing staff salaries uh, in the Senate and I, and I was overwhelmed by how much of just an economic impact one can make in their selection of of a dozen, uh, two well, really two about two dozen staff members, full time, part time, remote, and um, in office staff. I, I thought, and just to think about the people, the people who aren't represented in though in that capacity and, and would not traditionally have access. So you know, re- retirees or uh, people living with functional disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, homemakers, teachers, people who we really need in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Talking back and forth and interacting with them. But to, to round out uh, who I am, you know, uh, in 2018, I went to a specialty center to deal with the traumas of my experience having been the mayor of Brighton oh. and being unceremoniously ejected from that at the behest of Secretary of State voter suppressionists um, and other political actors who were not so foreign to me, um, 
who who were very much so interested in upholding uh, particular disenfranchisement, and that broke my heart, and it uh, and it 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 made my life so unlevel, and took away all of the quality and all of the expectations, and I thought that I was so fractured, so I went to get help, mm-hmm. and after three or four hours of speaking with this doctor and you know, the doctor, uh, he looked at me and said, well, sir, you're not insane. I think you need to run for the United States Senate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, you off, huh? Yes. Yes. So, uh, but, um, so, so you don't, it wasn't the citizens of Brighton. It was, the machinations of the Secretary of State and that level that happened. You know, that's, that, that, that's, a, that's a very important aspect of this to acknowledge because it's exactly what it was. Uh-huh. And I think there was and has been a, an effort to uh, conflate the judgment of the state, the persecution of the state and these very powerful old guard apparatus with the, the judgment of the public and the, and the public never judged me harshly. Mm-hmm. The public, the public uh, appreciated the sacrifice and they understood what, what would have to be endured uh, in an effort to transcend our, our local, our, our locality into something that could be, would be and has been a model for the state. It was a microcosm of things that <clears throat> were dysfunctional about Alabama and it was being cured. And there was a lack of appreciation as to the identity and the experience and the objectives of the person who was uh, at the helm. Working on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, of that uh, critique. Well, can you tell me a couple of the things that, uh, that were being, were, you were working on a cure for? You could identify. You you mentioned earlier um, uh, state violence. So, did you did you have problems with your police department? Or I don't I don't really know how big Brighton is. Um, I don't fill me in. Oh, what were you working on curing? Before <laughs> before before we had advanced the phraseology defund the police to uh-huh. no. anything, anything, anything of, 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 that we could, you know, of, of, of importance, of critical mass. Mm-hmm. I could, I could not identify. I, I interviewed a half dozen individuals to replace a police chief. I was just comfortable moving in another direction. Mm-hmm. I had no, I had no loyalties to the person who was in the position. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never considered myself pro-police, but I certainly thought I had the acumen to be able to work within an apparatus that I could define to some degree, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, with, within, within six months, I realized I, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, hmm. and, uh. and, what, and what I regretted most was that I did not have the information as to moving to an anti-police or a beyond police, because it, you know, when you say anti-police, people think you're attacking the humanity of the people who serve. But a 
an evolution beyond policing. Um, I didn't have that language. I didn't have that curriculum and that Uh expertise. Uh But I can tell you that it was impractical. That at the level that even at Brighton, which Uh was a majority, a majority joy, it was a majority black police department Mm -hmm. of of close to a dozen full-time volunteer deputized officers. Uh Uh, Really, it was exclusively black with the exception of, of one visiting official. And the degrees of violence, sexual violence, physical violence, impropriety, um, inefficiency, the lack of, uh, of, uh, of accountability, uh, even to the extent that evidence was damaged, lost, never presented uh-huh. cases where mm-hmm. this, this was happening in a city of 2,000 people. Uh-huh. That, could, that could not be reformed. And so yeah. what, I, what I attempted to do, which became all-encompassing and exhausting, was to uh, engage each officer on their own merits engage each investigation on its own merits to the extent the mayor's office had purview to, to provide resources. Uh-huh. And it never got anywhere. It never, it never got anywhere. It was, yep. it was, um, it was beating a dead horse. What, what I wish I had done now is taken that, those resources and dedicated them to a community wellness fund yeah. And assisted, which I did a little bit of this. I did assist two people who were into department with getting out of the department. Mm-hmm. I, I encouraged one young man to pursue his um, a bachelor's degree or some community college training and some ethics uh, training. Mm-hmm. He, he worked in dispatch at the time. I saw another officer leave and um, go more into the private sector, uh, security and uh, detail services. So that was, and then we saw the promotion of one of our uh, senior female dispatchers to uh, the, the county level where she actually had benefits and could and could uh, very well be able to buy a home mm-hmm. um, as a result of that, of that lateral movement. So those kind of things happened in very small ways. But again, this is a small, environment that we're talking about so it was very interpersonal you know and I was engaged but 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 that was one issue and um I'm not saying that I if I had if I could have I would have been more aggressive today than I was then and at the at the time and considering my age and youth and inexperience people really perceived my approach I mean we we hosted the first uh press conference on a homicide investigation Huh? In, in probably over 25 years uh-huh. within that 11 months that I served. So you understand, you understand where I'm going with this? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. you were, you were trying to, um, uh, could I say maybe um, overturn or upset the status quo? Just do things differently. And with the police, you know, because ethics is such, and at the end of the day, I was the mayor, but I was also still a black man in facing off with, with a police institution, so you know, of course, it crossed my mind. You know, these people could just could just bloody me, and mm-hmm. that would be that'd be the end of it. You know, they say it was a, a coke overdose or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so you know, it, but it was I, just... this the, that thought. You know, uh, so my usual purview is uh, micro local level government. So first of all, 
I love that you understand the micro local level government stuff. I, you know, I, I think that that would be a benefit for somebody going to the Senate to, to really understand the nuts and bolts way down here at ground level. And, you know, so that you might be able to understand a little bit about things that you could do to influence the nuts and bolts down way down here at the ground level from your lofty position, if you will, you know, for one thing. Um, and, um, and I had something else I wanted. To, oh, this is what I wanted to ask you. You mentioned something about studying ethics. So um, I, 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 we have not, you know, it's police reform um, is a very difficult thing to accomplish or even broach, honestly, with most government people in this state. Okay, you, I'm sure you know that. Um, but one thing, I, I have had a conversation or two with a city councilman about, uh, about making sure that the people that are recruited to be police officers are educated because I believe it's been shown um, that if you have, a, you know, like a, a, a liberal arts degree, um, that you that you know that means that you've read a lot of stuff really, and reading um, increases a person's um, ability to have empathy, because as you read, you know you identify with the characters in the book and that kind of stuff. It, supposedly, it builds that. I I think there are studies that have been able to show that. So at the very least, um, so is the opposite opposite true about people who watch a lot of television me, me. <laughs> well I totally agree with that because but uh, man that's a whole other hole to go down <laughs> but, I, but do you think at the very least that it would make a difference if we required police officers to have a a, a bachelor's degree well we were we recruit from the, the the wrong disciplines that are truly um, antithetical to what should be the desired outcomes of civilian rescue, which is de-escalation, yeah, which hello. is mm -hmm. connecting to services and resources, which is preserving uh, whatever faculties are still there with, with clients, thinking even of the public as clients uh, rather than prey. And mm -hmm. so when we what we need what we need to design in the way of a public rescue um, entity would look like the pipeline that guidance counselors and mental health professionals and social uh, workers social workers uh, and uh, and crises managers pursue and that is not the philosophy or the approach that uh, these organizations have taken or seem even invested in take. And for that reason, it's, a, it's not a reductive or premature notion that it cannot be reformed. Uh, and over, overwhelmingly, I think narcissism and egotism is recruited in fold into the institutional policing in this, in this society. And I think there's been a misconception that in order to effectively manage public crises, one has to have 
those personality traits, which mm-hmm. I think is everything but the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, what what it does, what the abuses of this system don't incentivize is character assessment, character development, ethical development, uh, accountability. Uh, it's on the part of the offender. I think in a system that wasn't uh, largely uh, perceived as being criminal in its own in its own nature and corrupt by its own devices, I think that people, the public, might respond very differently to the institutions of punish of of, of reprisal, I should say, uh, because punishment should not be the objective. Um, co- correction and reprisal and critique. And so I think w- w- we're at a loss with what we have in place right now. It doesn't work. It's ineffective. It's anti-democracy, democratic mm-hmm. values. Uh, it, it, it has given way to human rights crises of all proportions uh, with g- uh, gory details as to how that manifests. And so I, I think um, I think we need to move beyond the premature, com- the immature conversation is reform. I think the re- mature and evolved conversation is replacing these institutions with something that reflects. Uh, I, uh, uh, right. And so what defund the police really uh, means is move resources elsewhere. Right. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean abandoning the, uh, the agenda. Uh, but it does mean uh, approaching the agenda with different solutions. And, it, and if and if we are to if we are to be true to who we we express that we believe we are in our refinement, in our capacity, in our perseverance, well, this institution of policing is only as old as the end of slavery. Yep. So so why indeed can we not imagine our capacity to evaluate it and come out with a mechanism that is more closely aligned with our expressions of virtue. Yeah, well, and there are places in this country that are rethinking policing and doing it differently. So uh, so there's another thing that you, if you go to Washington, you might find out some other ways to do things and you could help us, right? Supposedly. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, well, um, and I've been in Washington, you know, uh, I run a policy group in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh, okay. And so exa- examining the uh, the relevant proposals and, and uh, policies that have, that have come up uh, related to police, which, which for the most part have been moderate policies. Yeah. yeah. Um, not, 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 not extremely imaginative in the way of what I think we, we, we really need to get to. But I, but I have seen a shift. And I have also seen, unfortunately, and a, a very dishonest approach to this, which is local local mayors uh, trying to dually advocate on the part of police and think that they can um, provide this, the same measure of uh, advocacy on the part of, of the pe- part of people who are historically harmed by the police and you cannot do both and this is, <laughs> yeah no this is this is one of those unique instances where you just cannot do you you have to be true true and have allegiance fidelity to to one interest over the other and yes. unfortunately in Chicago in Atlanta where they closed the jail but it didn't affect what was happening just in the county jail mm-hmm. that 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 uh that impacts all of that city so 
you just just two examples, you know, like you 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 have you have to go all in for those who have been who have been harmed the most. Understand understanding what's really owed to these communities. Well, so uh, you know, I think that there's a parallel between what we're talking about at this local police department level with a national level uh, problem with uh, the people that are in the military, and um, you know that attracts frequently the uh, undesirable kind of people or desperate people. Um, not and. And wouldn't it be nice if we could divert some funding from this enormous military budget we have to do other things that are better? You know, I don't know. Do you can you say something about about how you feel about our this national military budget? $813 billion dollars is the latest figure I have on defense spending. $182 billion is the latest figure I have on federal prisons. And notwithstanding my, my challenges with, with, cal- with a calculation without some forms of, of assistance, uh-huh. um, I cannot imagine again that it is, with, it is not within our potential to take such a significant allotment of, of, of the people's money Mm-hmm. And, and envision a system that works to protect more humanity and, pre- and prevent the loss of life and to actually engage in the principle of correction and critique in a way that is that, that does not um, in, in, encroach on democracy, democracy and democratic values. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know I'm 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 not a military brat, but all of my siblings, with the exception of myself, um, and and my oldest sister, so a total of six, are military careerists. Uh-huh. and I can and I can tell you absolutely that nowhere in the middle end or beginning of their military career would would they prepared with the with the emotional stamina to engage in law enforcement in any productive way for themselves or for the public. But, but a, a lot of veterans do um, become police officers. I'm, I'm aware. Yeah. I'm aware. I'm aware. <laughs> and, and again, we, I think our concentration in recruitment is misplaced. Yeah. We, 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 we essentially are asking military professionals to engage the public in the way that they have engaged in combat. No, not to even to mention this uh, this trend of of uh, sending military surplus equipment to police departments, which is, well, frankly, to me, horrifying. You know, we the we bore the brunt of that of that right here in Huntsville. You know, a couple of years ago, not good. And we had uh, surplus equipment in my city as well, mm-hmm. and it was useless. And I could only imagine that under, and it, under my leadership, we sent it back. I was, I appreciate Sebastian Carrillo, who I had retained as the fire chief mm-hmm. uh, for, for uh, briefing me to let me know the risk of maintaining that equipment and uh, how I, to exterminate that liability. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I, don't, I may not have known. And so uh, I'm very much so uh, in touch 
Well, okay, so Ken, I ask you, you brought up um, uh, voter suppression type stuff happening. Um, what, uh, you know, right now, I think there's a bill um, uh, that has been under consider about voting rights at the national level. Um, do you, are you familiar with that bill that you know what I'm talking about? Well, uh, the, the, the legislation that would, that would be named after John Lewis, the, the, 1960, the 1965 Voting Rights Act that, uh, that came up for approval, uh, uh, how, how, how do they describe it? Not approval, uh, essentially reaffirming its relevance and, 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 uh, and, and timeliness uh, in the House. And the Republicans uh, overwhelmingly uh, denied co-sponsorship and support for the legislation. I think it failed uh, along exclusively along party party lines, uh -huh. and the Democrats have struggled now to reintroduce that 1965 VRA, um, and uh, it has now called into question uh, particular protections. Uh, it uh, was effectively gutted by Shelby V. Holder. That was uh -huh. in 2013, uh -huh. and I'm not sure. Uh, after that, what, when the particular bill came down, uh, you got senators like Ted Cruz that have described it as a, a power grab, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and again de defending uh, the Republican legislators, legislative majorities uh, insisted that is insistence that it, it gives outsized influence to a particular voting constituency. Um, or that it was no longer needed uh, in order to protect the uh, the voting rights of um, of minorities of black people. Uh, mm -hmm. It gave way it further. It gave way to the establishment of strict voter ID laws. It gave mm -hmm. way to to upholding uh, regressive uh, voter registration and absentee voting laws. Mm -hmm. uh, it it uh, it also gave way to criminal punishment being uh, utilized as really an intimidation tactic mm -hmm. and as a, as a response to any question, any uh, impropriety that might be exhibited in, in a community's voting patterns. Well, so um, how, how, how do you feel about um, third party access to the ballot? <clears throat> well, not that I believe that uh, the two party system provides a great deal of equity of access. I spent $3,481, I believe, to qualify to run for the United States Senate, money that we had to, had to raise. And except for being able to raise that money, I would not have been able to appear on this ballot, despite being the first Democrat who announced uh, way back in 2017 and then recommitting in 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that in a state with the unique pol political position of Alabama uh, and the pol unique political ideology of, of the territory, uh, it would be relevant to establish a means that would give uh, more um, smaller voting constituencies an advanced way of contributing to the outcomes of the election. So I think about things like ranked choice voting. Yeah, I was about to ask you. <laughs> I, I think about things like ranked choice voting, which could which would help us include the maximum number of qualified candidates 
for public office, it's nearly impossible to raise a million dollars to run for office, especially if you don't come from that uh, economic, from an economic status and a social background that makes access to that type of capital reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that folks in Alabama would be motivated to support candidates who, who represent uh, a different party banners or who carry the banner of a different party, an mm-hmm. alternative party, and maybe be willing to engage in some more alternative forms of balloting if they were uh, simply able uh, to be exposed to those types of candidates. Well, well, and think- as it is, Mm-hmm. Go ahead. As it is, if you're not as it is, if you're not a part of a group of capitalists that can raise a lot of money as a Democrat or Republican, um, and if you're not a uh, part of a political elite uh, elite elite uh, cohort, uh, which which is hardly beneficial to the to the the, the, the larger public, uh, you are locked out from participating in electoralism as a candidate. Yeah, and 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 things aren't getting better in that respect. Um, the more like like you say, more obstacles are being thrown up for third parties all the time, locally and nationally, and so on and so forth. Uh, but a ranked choice voting is uh, it is would make it possible for someone to actually say and believe things that would appeal to a more wider variety of people, you know, they could maybe campaign on what they really believed in because they're, you know, they, it's not a winner take all sort of uh, thing necessarily. It, you know, it, it, you might be able to gather up some of the, some of those of us who feel like we're not represented the way things are now. In a right, in a right choice system, I am, um absolutely convinced that I would at least perform, outperform at least at least two of the leading three Republican candidates right now. Uh-huh. And a ranked choice to do. I, I don't even know um, uh, is uh, who else is running as a Democrat? Anybody? I don't even know. I know oh. that the Democratic Party has pretty much abandoned this state. You know, but they 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 exist to fundraise and to express how defeated they are. It it would appear that way. Uh, yeah. um, I love that description. <laughs> there are um there are two there are two individuals. There were three. Um, one one of whom uh, I think it's just worth because this is this is this is so academic, really. Um, there was there was there were three other Democrats in this election and uh, one of them uh, was disqualified for his his alignment with uh, Trump-ism and his uh, expressed policies that uh, were were really out of of context for the Democratic um, election, uh, electorate, I'm sorry. Uh And um, his 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 choice of expression uh, created a dilemma uh, for the party and for other candidates and and I was the one frankly who who caught on to it and brought it to the attention of the party um, who who responded with dispatch to remove him from the ballot. Interestingly enough, there was a, a poll that was done that showed him 
performing pretty well. <laughs> so I don't know um, if that if that brings into question the legitimacy of the poll or the legitimacy of uh, discernment of the voters. Um, I would hope that the latter would is not true. Um, uh-huh. But but pathetic uh, was the way I would really describe um, his approach to this. But I do think that what it did was expose a party that has no diligence. Because I asked, I said, you know, well, certainly you all ran a background check on me before approving my my placement on the ballot. So where was that diligent when diligence when it came to uh, this individual who's been disqualified to Professor, to professor Victor Maga Williams, uh-huh. uh, who had just weeks before qualifying attended the uh, Conservative Political Action Committee Conference in Orlando, Florida. Great. Uh, under, underneath a banner that said, Trump 2024, take America back. Um, oh, ouch. So, yeah, and, and they are two, you know, uh, one being, both being described as perennial candidates. But I think the greatest threat in this situation is that the alternative remaining candidates prevent an opportunity, one more so than the other, that the party could um, have a nominee and be defeated in November and be able to uh, disingenuously say to the public that we made an effort. We had a candidate, we ran them and we put resources behind them. They just weren't able to. The Democratic party would be in a, in a, in a, in a position to have to shore up some significant grassroots institutional support for my mm-hmm. nomination. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's a burden that they'd rather not have when they've got auctions and fundraisers. And, yeah, that's, like you said, that's, yeah. not, that's not their job description. What, what did you say? They exist to- um, They exist to fundraise and to express how defeated they are. Yeah. That, that doesn't include a whole lot of actually getting out in the streets and campaigning. <laughs> yeah. If, unfortunately, it doesn't. Well, it also doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't include why uh, ex- expanding the bench, and because if it, if it's a it's a, if it's if we're operating in the in the in the uh, vein of a syllogism, and that and that the outcome is already for uh, predicted, foreseen, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that um, you don't have to engage what I would describe as the undesirables. It, the, I think the Argentinians called them the descomosados. Uh, you don't have to deal with that rugged constituency of people and, and, and imagine that they too deserve to be candidates. The justice system involves citizens, that generationally poor citizens, that black foundational citizens, mm-hmm. that citizens living with disabilities, that teachers, classroom instructors deserve an opportunity to be seen as candidates as well. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm kind of of the, of the school that um, I, I feel like uh, there, I think maybe it's Costa Rica or something where everybody has to do their time in government. You know, everybody does. 
whatever it is you can do, you have to spend your time, some time. And in, in, I mean, which sounds like a whole lot better thing than like uh, in, in countries where with a draft where you have to spend time, you know, in the military, everybody has to do their time in the government. Fascinating. Uh, would, wouldn't that be make things different? Hmm. Um, in anyway, so I wanted to ask you um, maybe a few, um, just a couple of questions like, uh, what? How do you feel about Medicare for all? I don't understand. I don't understand it. Um, I the, the I understand that healthcare should be efficient. It should be open to all. Healthcare should be uh, confidential. Mm -hmm. And there should be a sacred relationship between the healthcare provider and the patient. I believe that healthcare includes mental care, specialty care, physical care. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it includes, uh, I don't know if I said mental health care already. Um, it, it, it includes therapies. It includes uh, medical equipment. And I think that the evidence of a, an effect of a, of a quality healthcare system is not access, but uh how many people are actually helped by it and how many people will actually speak, speak to its merits. And that is my goal. I know that we can pay for healthcare. I share with you the, the billion dollar, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars has been exhausted in the prisons and the, and the jails and the law enforcement and the military and the, and the uh, private sector business uh, subsidies and we uh -huh. can afford healthcare. Yeah. And, and the public can appreciate efficient healthcare infrastructure. They can appreciate efficient uh, public transit infrastructure. Thank People you. will become users of these systems when they are affected. People will deal with medical crises with, with, more, with more responsibility and dispatch, which in, in turn saves us more money. Yeah, that's right. So um, I, I don't, I, I, I'm annoyed and frustrated because I mean, I've been I've been hearing the terms Medicare, Medicaid, healthcare for all, Obamacare all my life. I've been inundated with the terminology, mm -hmm. never to really get to a point of, of of seeing that either either point of view in this discussion sees healthcare as something that is is an entitlement, and for every citizen, and for at least every citizen, we can have a discussion about do we expand those benefits for people visiting our country or even in our country without. Yeah, well, um, and, and I think most countries with socialized health care do expand the those benefits to to uh, at least to some extent to people visiting their country. To some extent, yeah, because and and, we, and, we, and, and uh, Americans have had their eyes open. Some of them, when they've been overseas and they've needed health care, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh wow. <laughs> and we have no ethical reason not to operate with a very generous. Uh, and, and, and universal. Uh, so what, what is, if our reasons are not ethical, what are our reasons? What do you think our reasons are for the way it is now? I think that placing limitations on access, placing premiums on particular services, uh, regarding certain aspects of health care as, uh, as luxuries or as privilege is the problem. I think too many politicians are funded by providers, by uh, manufacturers, 
that have some incentive to limit who has access and how readily they had access. Uh, I think I think that it that 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 challenges uh, the willingness of folks, Democrat and Republicans, uh, to be very liberal and exhaustive in building a system that just that, that is that 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 essentially casts a wide net and opens a very wide gate for people to to, to take advantage of its offers. So, uh, so you can go to open open secrets and, and see where that disconnect is uh-huh. and what uh-huh. is being advocated and what the speech is and uh, versus what motivations there are to uh, American Hospital Association, $773,000. That's just one group. Uh, Centennial Corporation, $717,000. Healthcare Services, Prime Healthcare Services, six hundred. Johnson & Johnson, $618,000 in political contributions. Uh, just, just in, just in 2022, just in 2022. Well, and the these people, that, these, the, these corporations uh, donate to both parties, both sides. Almost, so that, almost, that, almost <laughs> absolutely, almost evenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1.1 million from Blue Cross and Blue Shield in just 2022 went exclusively to Democrats. United Health Group split they 976000 uh, $976,000 even with most Democrats. Uh-huh. Kaiser Permanente. So gave you know, it's, if you're if you're if you're splitting that donation, it has nothing to do with the uh, uh, philosophical or political <laughs> or anything like that's, that. It, it has right. everything to do with uh, control, power. That's right. That's yeah. right. So uh, so this is something that uh, <laughs> that me and my brother talk about sometimes, and we do not see eye to eye about politics, but. Uh, I, I think that if we if we took a really good hard look and reformed um, you know campaign finance so that uh, so that we could maybe get a rep more representative uh, um, cross section of the population to to be elected uh, that 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 might make a big difference. How 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 do you feel about campaign finance reform? You know like. Uh, uh, having 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 uh, 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 public financing of campaigns. Well, for public finance is the campaign, even if it's just if it's just being measured based on the uh, toll on our mental health from the propaganda, from uh-huh. the misinformation, and the misinformation. But but further, we we make it possible for the the television networks to share this content. We make it possible for the infrastructure that gives way to social media um, platforms to be able to broadcast this information. So many of us are engaged in those platforms. So essentially the public is already bearing a burden um, and an economic one too, uh, in the way of uh, what candidates get seen. We pay for the ballots, we pay for the machines, you know, that's our, those are our resources. Those are our tax dollars at work. The inequity is that we don't have much of a say uh, in how many people close to our communities get to be on those ballots, get to be on those airways, get to be uh, broadcast on social media uh, through paid advertisements. And I think that most of us would like to, if we know that we're having to contribute anyway, that we, we don't have a choice in the matter, at least we'd like to have the dignity of, of, of being able to select or uh, send, send forth 
people who speak in, in alignment with our values as well. Uh-huh. And, and the fact that we are void of that opportunity at this point um, is, is a very strong argument for public finance campaigns uh, for, of course, overturning Citizens United, which, uh-huh. erroneously, which, which erroneously regards corporations as people. Yeah, no. And uh, um, because for that matter, every disenfranchised entity should be entitled uh, to a, to a, to a, a sum of resources to be able to advocate their own special interests, and that is not the case. Corporations, uh, so so the very the, the very insinuation that a corporation should be regarded as a person and their ability to make uh, contributions uh, to to put to in a political context is uh, is is asinine. So. Um, I, I think, I wonder how it would transform my approach to running for public office and, 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 and the probability of, of success if there were publicly financed campaigns. Uh, I do worry, even with the institution of that type of policy, whether or not America has sort of declined in its definition and understanding of, of, of leadership. Because there was, there was a time, I think, that we sought to send the Robin Hoods and the, and, and the neighborhood heroes and the most ethical and uh, community-centric and collectivist of those among us. And, but that portrait of a politician seems to be withering and faded. I, I can't oh. I can't agree with you more about that. Uh, um, uh, I'm older than you, and I, <laughs> uh, but um, I've definitely seen in my lifetime a change, a serious change in the in the the sort of criteria uh, of of what is considered to for sending to office. Certainly at the national level, for sure. But I am not going to say that it doesn't happen at the very local level too. You know, My, this is this is so, this is sort of a reduced example. But Mark Warner, who's a senator from Virginia, I believe the senior. He's, he's not the senior senator. Tim Kaine's the senior senator. Uh, Mark Warner a few years ago was on when COVID quarantine first jumped off, and he was on the program making a tuna fish sandwich, and and it, and it was. It was a devastating uh, event to watch, uh, which it involved a microwave and oh gosh, pouring pouring, <laughs> pouring mayonnaise out of it. But oh. it, it was it was it was quite insightful to to just see that this gentleman is serving in the United States Senate, and whatever for whatever reason his life experiences have not blended to be able to make him confident on preparing a a a, a poor person's. Uh, a creme brulee or whatever you might prepare. You know, I, I thought, you know, how unfortunate for him and for our country. Yeah. <laughs> Dear me. And, and so it's experiences, again, I said that's a reduced example, but if you don't know what it's like to grocery shop, or if you don't know what it's like to fly business class, if you don't know what it's like to have to pay a rent deposit and undergo a credit and background check to live mm-hmm. in an apartment. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what it's like to rely on public transportation, mm-hmm. if you don't have an experience with this broken, well, it's not broken. It's really functioning in the way that it was. This criminal justice system 
intent intent on criminalizing cultures. Yep. If you don't know those things, if you haven't lived through that, then how can you lead? I mean, it's simply not enough to be able to earn a law degree. It's simply not enough to be able to, 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 to secure a internship because your father was a member of the same country club as the congressman. That's right. That that's not leadership. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's something else. <laughs> and it's something well, it's, it's it's nepotism and it's narcissism and it's really what is overtaking um, every other space where 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 talent and credibility used to be of of desire. Well, and I find it interesting that you say that it's functioning exactly the way it was designed. Um, and, you know, people do tend to throw up the Constitution as some sort of sacred document, but I'm afraid <laughs> it got a lot of things that maybe not, you know, it wasn't. So you, promised, you, you, prom- you promised me. Yeah, you you, pro- you promised me um, three tokens, three profanity tokens, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so t- today's tweet was, um, if I, you know, I'm not a Twitter, a Twitter aficionado, but uh, today's tweet uh, on the issue of the Constitution, yes. uh, ironically that you bring that up, uh-huh. white man wrote. White men wrote the Constitution, so I don't fuck with it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. You know, um, I uh, so uh, you know you mentioned that uh, you're a son of Alabama, and and you gave a little litany of of your ancestry. Um, you know, uh, Alabama, uh, way back when, had a uh, was one of the places that the Communist Party actually had a pretty good stronghold here before before McCarthyism and and you know the communist scare and all that kind of stuff happened and and all the communists had to go scurrying uh, for safety. Do you think any of your forebears were um, involved in the Communist Party in Alabama? Do you know? No. Well, well, well. Even just on comparison to my father, uh, mm-hmm. my life has not has not nearly been as extreme um, and adventurous as his own. Uh-huh. The guy went to college at same college that Martin Luther King Jr.'s father attended, uh-huh. and uh, Bishop in Texas, which is now I believe part of Texas A and M. And he le- he left an apartment furnished uh, in Dallas. To return home to work in the U.S. Steel Mill, uh-huh. uh, he was union. He was union strong. Uh-huh. His father was uh, an infrastructure engineer working on the roadways in northern and central Florida. Uh-huh. My great grandfather uh, was the descendant was the was the child of a slave uh-huh. who moved uh, to uh, Alabama from uh, from Georgia from the from neighboring Colsetta County. Uh-huh. And uh, Columbus, uh, Georgia, uh, I believe is, is uh, matter of factly. Uh-huh. Uh, so their understanding and their historical analysis, uh, mine pales in comparison. Uh-huh. And I continue to just be a student of the wisdom that was shared with me from that, you know, 200 years of, of, of history. Uh-huh. And uh, it, w- it, w- it wouldn't surprise me. Uh-huh. But at, at, to this point, I, I have no evidence of that. 
they would what where where they as uncomfortable and um circumspect of the prospects of politics from any perspective democrat or republic of course they were the madness that i have today was inherited um, <laughs> it is, it's not it is not it's something uh that is just just organically within me you come um, by it honestly <laughs> yes yes so so um but I, but I would be fascinated to explore that. So I, you know, you mentioned Citizens United, and um, you know, how we need to uh, undo that. So you know, one of the ways that we can undo it is to uh, make an amendment to the Constitution. Um, would is it also, uh, you know, is there legislation? That I mean, because it was a decision by the Supreme Court, so that's their opinion. So my understanding is that the the legislative branches uh, can legislate, you know, something like that. Is there legislation that could be introduced, a bill, you know, to, to undo Citizens United? Uh, the only thing I've heard is uh, about trying to amend the Constitution, which is a long and painful process. Uh, uh, as I can attest from my efforts as a young woman uh, on uh, working for the ERA, you know. Adam, Adam Schiff, I think has come uh, closer than anyone. Uh, he introduced a constitutional potential amendment to overturn uh, the Supreme Court's Citizens United decision. Uh -huh. um, and, and really once again, allow for the reasonable restrictions on corporate campaign contributions and other spending. Yeah. Um, that legislation hasn't been successful. It's co-sponsored by uh, an exclusively Democratic uh, a class. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been, it was supported by, uh, I think, uh, uh, the uh, interest group and Citizens United, People for an American Way, uh, mm -hmm. Citizens, and Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which I'm quite familiar with. Um, I think uh, that legislation uh, goes far enough, but I think that the political quagmire that we're in right now uh, would insist that, that you might have to aim at uh, really, really what I think is, is, the, is the more prompt approach, which is the expansion of the Supreme Court uh -huh. that, would force, that would force a review of uh, that particular issue. And, and they would likely even move forward with... Uh, uh, a review and a resettling of Roe v. Wade just to kill um, some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Right. 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 And voting rights and voting uh -huh, rights. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think that for those three very important questions, uh, extremely important questions, uh, and, and whether or not reparations comes up for uh, uh, as a question before the court, and, and how it's supposed to be dispersed. Um, I think that's the only way. I think that in the near term, that is the only way because we continue to lose democracy. We uh -huh. continue to lose the prospect of quality contributing. No, well, I, th I think that, that it, it's been um, pretty well shown that we don't really live in a democracy anymore. It's an oligarchy. It's an autocracy. Uh, yeah, we, both, because both of those power, are correct. Yep, the power structure has, has shifted away from the people. Serious. This is correct. 
This is and it's this is many, 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 many mechanisms that have caused that to happen, in my opinion. Um, you know, uh, debt is one of them. People, are, our society is structured around debt so much that people have to work all the time, so they don't have much leftover energy to put into politics. Um, uh, four day, we need a we need a four day work week. Yep, we need pay. We need we need pay. I mean, I had a conversation the other day with a woman I met yesterday. I said, you know, I, you know, we how are we going to have a child if you can't get out work? <laughs> and that was a, another joke. <laughs> that was another joke too. I, that was a joke. Okay, I didn't meet her yesterday. <laughs> I met her last. I met her last week. You know. Okay. And, and, so, and so, just like, family, slow down, buddy. <laughs> family planning is, is so uh, okay. difficult. You know? Now, now I'm going to call you Mayor Dean. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. You get it. You get it. You get it. So you know, it, it is an issue. We 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 we. The, the the general public is so inundated with survivalism and with the tactics that yep. that that are that are required for that uh, that we don't have time to think about the oppression that we are enduring and undergoing. Yeah. And and I and think we, our our educational system has been systematically uh, impoverished uh, to the you know that's so right. that which right. helps to uh, include uh, to include educators inside of the system. Yeah, and, and, and that helps uh, make it easier to, you know, get propaganda to function with the utmost of, you know, influence uh, if, if your population is poorly educated. I, I mean, the, the power has just been taken away from the people systematically right. and on purpose with no doubt about it, you know. So, uh, I, you know... I personally think that this, that speaking of the constitution, that the Supreme court is undemocratic. You're, you're saying, and I, but I do agree that at the very least we could expand it in an effort to make it more representative. You know, that would, I would not be averse to that. Uh, uh, you know, well, I, and they have been, and there have been other there's been other considerations about having um, judges serving serving temporarily on the panel, a rotation of justices um, yep. that might make the, the court more diverse and inclusive and bring a, uh, a, an array of, of opinions. Um, you know, I, I worry sometimes about the extension of a lifetime appointment um, that that could that that could be very well seen seen as bizarre. <laughs> In, yep. in in a in a in a, in a uh, progressive environment. Yeah, that so, is bizarre, honestly. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, you you just wonder, you know, by the first thirty years, we we pretty much gotten the best utility out of us, out of you that we can, and 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 your ability to. Well, and, and then you have these this the these sort of miscarriages of I don't even know if you could call it justice. Uh, where you've got these guys who hang on until the right party is in the White House, you know, which in, in order which, to load which, the which, court more, you know, it's, which 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 to me which to me tanks the um, yeah tanks the tanks the legacy. Of, it's of tainted. Again, uh, it is tainted. definitely tainted. Yes, uh, I, I, I certainly wish Justice Ginsburg had um, made different considerations at when at the time that it mattered. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Um, but I, but again, I also think that you know should it should be a question as to whether or not should a justice 
be able to determine it? You know, should there have been some type of uh, panel and um, paneling of, of judges to say uh, that we need to move in another direction? Should should the legislature have been able to uh, say that uh, it's it, it's 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 time to uh, should should justice come up for reconfirmation? Uh-huh. Um, there, there, there are a lot of hypotheticals to be considered with yeah. respect to what, what harm is doing mm-hmm. to right now insist on lifetime appointments and to re- re- uh, rely on presidents to be able to make a ballot dis- a selection and, and, the, and the Senate uh, to confirm, to confirm. So, I mean, you know, even maybe utilizing the Senate as a, a venue for initial confirmation and the House of Representatives as a venue um, for, uh, for extending- yeah. For, yeah, for for extended confirmation, for reconfirmation, a lot of I think, but but we've got to get more mature as a society in our politics. With too many too many of us have dealt with, I mean, I think we some of us are more devoted to professional sports than we are to our political mechanisms or NASCAR. <laughs> Which you know, if this doesn't work out, I I think I might I might load up and and head back out there, you know. Well, let me just, we've gone plenty long enough. I have not asked you everything I wanted to. So maybe we can do this again sometime. We'll see if your schedule allows it. Um, But as a closing question, could you tell me maybe um, three of people who are your heroes? Harry Tubman. Uh Uh-huh. As it were civil rights leaders, many, most of them men like me, were providing beautiful articulations of the issues, traveling to and fro to talk about abolition. But Harriet Tubman got shit done. That's my second token. <laughs> she, um, and, and, and there were outcomes and tangibles as a result of the sacrifice that she engaged and she lived a long life and was able to see some progress um, as a result of, of her commitment. To our own freedom and to the freedom of our people. Mm-hmm. And she also lived with the burden and the necessary sacrifices of romance, of happiness, of quality of life, of isolation, of criminality because of it. And so many of us cannot say that we would have been that strong and persevered in the face of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Kennedy had an energy, Bobby Kennedy had an energy that I like to believe I emulate very well. And he was so quick to arrive, much quicker, I should say, to arrive than his contemporaries, his white male contemporaries on the issues of race and equity. And I think that he would have blossomed, at least I hope he would, I hope, because you know, I, as, a, as a black man, I have become less comfortable uh, in investing any real expectations in in white men, as it relates to the liberation of my community. Well, but I, would, I just say as a woman, I have misgivings. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> but I would like, I, I like to, the memory that I have of Bobby Kennedy is I'd like to believe him to be the exception and a role model, not really a role model for me, but, but he, but Bob, Bobby Kennedy's experience to me, for me as a black man, gave me an access point to what. And um, 
my father, who, who, who is the best example of unconditional love that I've ever experienced. And I think unfortunately about the tragedy of that he never would have run for the United States Senate because for the majority of his life, he couldn't. He was born in 1949. And there were no, there were no real exemplars. Of and yet he introduced me into a world that he understood was systemically and strategically leaning against my, my success and prospects. But he never told me no about the things that I needed I needed to do mm -hmm. to experience fulfillment. And politics was one of the things that he never told me no. He never rejected it as a prospect for me. And, um, you know, to, to, to lift me up that high, he had to be so much stronger than I am. To lift me up to be able to be the mayor of Brighton at 23 years old, 24 when I was elected, uh, in, inaugurated in, in, mm. and, uh, and because he is the shadow of my mother and my grandmother and all of my siblings, I, I, could, I could not think of a more fortunate person to, uh, to, to be a, a, a progenity of, progeny of because I see I've, you know, the experiences so many of my contemporaries with their fathers have not been as fortunate as my own. And it took tremendous self-awareness for him to make, to give me a vision of the wonderful. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, the, and he came from uh, an earlier generation. Before... Two generations. So my father and I separated by two generations uh -huh. because okay. he was born in 1949. So mm -hmm. reasonably, my father could have, you know, I would more appropriately, my father would have born in 1960 yeah. or 19, you know, but my father was born. So there, you know, so that's why there's, you know, the history it's, and the bridging. Yeah. Uh, um, it's a different time. That's for sure. Yep. yep. Yeah. And he knew the, he knew the madness, you know, he knew it. And I could, I could feel that in his expressions often to me about Vietnam about being in segregated Birmingham, about seeing Dr. King in a church. And, you know, you think of a young man at 14 years old going to watch a young, much younger Dr. King speak in a church of, you know, 200, 150 guests. That was a radical act mm -hmm. in the 1960s and 50s. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, that was not a popular maneuver if you wanted to, you know, keep things down. Yeah, be quiet. And and he went he went into that he went into that environment as a young man just to be an observer, but to be an observer in that time was so much so so very powerful. Especially, you know, we we can observe all of the rhetoric and, and disruption on social media, but then you had to put yourself in the church that could be attacked, that could be bombed. Yeah. And my father my father did that as a young man and, and so yeah. So yeah, I, th th there's there's nothing else I could do when you consider Harriet and you consider Bobby and you consider Leffert Dean. There's nothing else that I could do but run for mayor, run for the United States Senate, 
become a son of Howard University, advocate for these policies and disrupt. And uh, the, what else could I do, Joy? Uh, tell you what you can do. You can tell, tell me, uh, like, what's your website? How can people help you? How can people get in touch with you? Find out more about you. Oh, so POTUS Synthesis is a professional style that just means mayor, senator, and two combined languages. That's where I am on Facebook. Okay. And that's where I am on Instagram, POTA Senators. And uh, my name, Brandon Dean, B-R-A-N-D-A-U-N, Dean, on um, all the other platforms, Twitter and, uh, uh, well, Twitter and my website, brandondean.com. Okay. So I also am the principal of the Campaign X, campaignx.org policy group, which is based in Washington, D.C., out of the Martin Luther King Memorial Library, uh -huh. which is a place that I'm regularly available for coffee, for interviews, for walks. Um, so yeah, that's, where, that's where I am. I, I spend a lot of my time in Washington. I'm very much so in a good position to transition into the United States Senate on, on behalf of the communists. I certainly very <laughs> I very much appreciate your giving your time to my little tiny podcast with its not very big reach. But my philosophy is if, you know, if somebody listens to it and this starts a conversation, I've won, you know, if, 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 if my podcast starts some conversations, I'm doing good. So that's, well, where, where and, I, and, and, and that's, what's going to rule in, in the outcome of all of this. Um, this is, this is a, this is an important, this is an important opportunity for so many people. You don't often get a open United States Senate seat. And once a person secured themselves in a position, it's hard to um it's hard to get them out. So I think people need to, you know, even if we got to play a little bit of catch up, I think people need to take this this very seriously. Um and understand, you know what, I may not be the one you wanted. I may not be the one you expected, but I'm the one that showed up. <laughs> and and that and and, uh -huh. and that that that's critical. That's critical. And um, I think they need to abandon their reservations about who they thought it should be, what great white hope they thought was coming. Yeah. And deal with this this citizen. This citizen and this leader of the proletariat. Uh, you know, speaking personally, um, the, the great white hope of Doug Jones didn't work out so great, you know. So let's... Let's no, I did. I mean, yeah, it, no, it did. Um, there, there, I think was probably an opportunity for transition of power. I think that had Vivian Figures been tapped as a successor on the ballot, I think if Dr. Brenda Dickerson had been tapped, if Judge Annetta Barron, if Judge Tomra Johnson, Tomra Harris Johnson had been tapped um, to lead the Democratic ticket in 2020. 2020 Mm -hmm. For that uh, that election, I think that the Democrats could have held on to the seat. I think Doug should have seen himself as a caretaker and being relevant um, in or out of the Senate, and recognizing what an accomplishment it was for him to have achieved. You know, even if it's a short stint, Alabama, which is, and let me be clear, I actually pursued all of those women to the extent that I could. I couldn't get Vivian on the phone, but. I, I pursued those women to, to run for the United States. And I thought Alabama deserved 
um, and could value a black woman United States Senator. Yeah. Uh, there have only ever been two, there have only ever been two others elected, but they declined. And um, I understood their reservation. And so knowing what I know and knowing who I am, ultimately, I thought that the, the next best thing would be someone who could at least take, the, take that approach, take a hood feminist attitude into legislating and advocating. And that's, that's why I'm here. Good. And that's, well, why, that's why people should vote for me and no one else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I all power to you. And, uh, and I really do appreciate your taking the time to come and talk to me. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, Joy. And good night. Okay. Good night. This has been HSV Progressive. Thanks for stopping in. Don't forget to rate and share and subscribe. And I'll see you again next week. Please uh, find me if you have some input uh, at Huntsville Progressive Letter Writers on Facebook. <laughs>